coming up on Unsound Advice. So when I see how ridiculous it sounds, that's how ridiculous it sounds for me to hear you say that someone who didn't value you, who was untrue to you and mistreated you, was upset with you because you decided you didn't want to be his doormat anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We don't feel sorry for those people. We feel sorry for them because they're not fully developed and they are struggling with some emotional development, but that's not yours to carry. Twice in the last month, I had to come pick her up from a guy's house drunk at 4.30 in the morning. Do I just assume he's not interested anymore? So I'm in my second marriage. My first one ended because my wife cheated on me and my second wife is starting to act in a similar way. Hey, Laura. Hi, Laura. Hi. Hey there. Um, I know you're a 12-step program person, so I was just wondering, how do you break up with a hairstylist? A bunch of my coworkers are really bad at their jobs. And I wanted to try, you know, bringing her back into my life. I'm just wondering if you had any guidance for me. Give me a strategy here. Where do I start? How do I even begin? And how do I stop eating cookies? Because I love cookies so much. Thanks a lot, Laura. You're the best. Hi, welcome to Unsound Advice with Lara Bites. I'm Lara Bites. And today on the podcast, I'm speaking with Ida Rodriguez, who's incredible. Uh, Before I had her here, we had only met a couple times. She gave me some really great advice when we were in Montreal together at JFL, which was and will remain private, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, I've looked up to her for a long time. I watched her on TV before I ever started doing stand-up. And when we talked on here, I found out her life is too unbelievable to be true. She's been kidnapped twice. She's had multiple careers, and now she has an HBO Max special and just made her directorial debut. We discussed how experiencing your worst fears can be a growing moment. We discussed accepting yourself as you are. She talked about modeling. We talk about eating disorders. And uh, we talk about my kindergarten school photo, if you're interested in that. Which I kind of would love to see. Yeah, I wonder if I can dig that up somehow. Uh, we took some really great calls. We had a woman who asked how to break up with a hairstylist. Which is something I'm sorry. I just I just can't <laughs> relate to. because I can't relate to that? Well, look at this hair. It's easy. I, I'll bounce from barber to barber, but I get it. Like, I understand it's an issue, and it certainly, you know, like, it can be hard when you have that close of a relationship, but I, mean, I just— I couldn't cut that. I couldn't cut your hair. I mean, I sort of did this during the pandemic also, <laughs> so it was pretty easy. I probably bust him out on this episode. I think I do, but my friend Damon Millard gets the worst haircuts <laughs> that prove that, like, you have to go to someone who's yeah. good. I'm like, dude, you have to stop paying $12. You, you look like— <laughs> For a month. Yeah. So bad. <laughs> no one can respect you walking around with a head of hair like that. <laughs> so, yeah, we talk about a guy's biological mom reaching out to him on Facebook uh, and a woman calls in afraid of her pet dying. We just talk about all kinds of stuff. We have more calls other than that. Um, what else, JP? Well, th- this was also, I think, the first episode where a portion of it really focused on you and your, this time it was your breakup. Yeah. Because it was pretty raw at the time. We were yeah. recording this, I think, maybe the week after it happened. Yeah. So I'm curious how you're doing now. Um, I'm great. It's been four months. I'm all healed up and we're good to go. I have uh, started seeing someone else that's very new and it's really fun and exciting um, and Great. I'm just like so glad that I'm able to n- not be in that anymore. I'm glad to hear that. It's crazy because we like fear the ends of relationships mm-hmm. so much that we'll stay in them to avoid having to go through the pain of the breakup. And the pain of the breakup was so much less than the pain of the relationship. Like I can't believe now that I'm on the other side of it that I was like struggling in this relationship for a year to get through a breakup where like I was okay in two months. Mm -hmm. Like it could have just been so much easier, but you don't know until you know, I guess, you know, and I didn't want to have regrets. I didn't want to end it and then not be sure if I made the right decision. It's just like, we never have the perspective at the time that we will have in the future in either direction. Well, I'll say I, I, I see it in your face and I hear it in your voice and just the way we talk. You seem like there's a huge weight that's been lifted and you're much happier with the way things are. Thank you so much. Yeah. I am so much happier with the way things are. Um, Another yeah, thing I'd like to say is that this is the first time we're recording since we started this podcast, since we started releasing episodes. 
And I just think the response from people has been great to get to know. I'm starting to get to know your fans yeah. from stand up that are coming and listening and leaving comments. And it's been really nice to see the support. Yeah. Yeah. It's been really cool. I'm really excited about it. New episodes of Unsound Advice will be available every Tuesday morning at unsoundadvicepod.com and wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. We want you to be a part of the show. If you'd like some Unsound Advice, send an email or a voice memo to lara at unsoundadvicepod.com. And don't worry, we won't use your name unless you really want us to for some reason. Let's get into it. And my guest today is the amazingly talented comedian, actor, producer, director, writer, and podcaster whose debut hour-long special, Fighting Words, is streaming now on Max. Ida Rodriguez, welcome. Thank you so Thank much you for joining for having me. me. I cringe every time I hear my intro. Really? Yeah, I feel I remember those days of hosting, like at the improv, and then comedians giving me 17 credits to remember before. And I'm like, yeah. oh, is that what we sound like now? Yeah, I had a comedian give me a piece of paper with oh. so many things recently at the comedy store and he was like just read off of it and I was like okay mm. joy <laughs> yeah um yeah thank you so much for coming I wanted to have you on because I look up to you so much um and you gave me some advice privately in Montreal that mm -hmm. was helpful and oh, important um and I loved your special thank and you. At the end of your special, you shared a piece of what I would consider advice that your grandmother gave you. Uh, she said, plan B is for people who don't believe in plan A. Yeah. And um, I didn't really have a plan B, like doing comedy. Plan mm. B was just like, be really miserable and figure it out. Maybe mm -hmm. try to get into grad school. <laughs> um, but did you yeah. have a plan B? No. You know, some people thought that having no plan B meant not working. Right. Yeah. And just waiting on the universe to show up. I had a job. I worked for a financial firm for eight years and I didn't quit until uh, last comic standing because I had to, I had to choose between the two. Yeah. And, uh, but you know, I never really had a plan B. There's, I've always been in the entertainment business um, since I was about 14 years old. I've never done anything else. I've had jobs along the way, Yeah, but that's always been my career. Yeah. And um, I don't think I'd be good at anything else. I think yeah. I think the school board would definitely oust me. <laughs> like she punched the kid. Yeah, no, I'm joking. Yeah, I'm joking. no, I I relate to that so much. And I've had jobs since I was. I think I had my first jobs since I was 15. Mm -hmm. Whenever you could legally start working yeah, with same. a parent uh, consenting in Wisconsin is how long I've been working. Um, but never was good at anything else, never had anything else that I mm -hmm. really wanted to do. And the things that people compliment about my stand-up now are the things that got me in trouble at every other job. Um, <laughs> like I'm it. not, I'm not able to really be aware of what the tone of my voice sounds like. Right. And it has rubbed people the wrong way in every job I've ever had, but they're like, you're too blunt. You need to soften it a yeah, little bit. And in course. my head, I sound really friendly. And yeah. so I'm like, well, I can't fix that because I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, but I'll try. And then I didn't get fired a lot, but I was definitely disliked. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, got fired. I remember getting fired. Uh, the first time I got fired, I was devastated because I, I had been a, like an honor roll kid and I was like, I'm special. And yeah. then I got fired from working at, as a cashier at a pharmacy. And it, it was devastating, but I was a really bad bank teller. Like, I don't think <laughs> out of the two years that I was a bank teller, I think I might have balanced at the end of the day, maybe less than five times. <laughs> My, it was, I was, I used to make, and I used to think it was a good thing because I'd be like, I made y'all some money. I'm $14,000 over. And I, the, the head teller would just panic. Beverly, she would just be like, Oh my gosh, like now I'm going to figure out where this money came from. And and then it'd be like, he's 97. He's not going to live. Like, yay for the bank. And they eventually were able to get me out of there. Yeah. That's so funny. I worked in tech support. Oh. And God only knows how. I mean, I just had no business being there. And I had to very calmly walk people through troubleshooting. And I remember my boss 
being like, hey, they called to complain about the way you were talking to them. And I know which call it was because I heard the way you talked to them. And I'm like, I don't understand what I did wrong. I don't understand what I did wrong. Some people got to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. So funny. Um, yeah, your story is so fascinating. And actually, JP, um, my producer who's sitting right over there, uh, sent me some notes and I had to fact check them because I was like, mm -hmm. well, there's no way that this is all true. Um, you like got kidnapped and then got kidnapped by someone else. Yeah. And I thought that was a mistake because it was like she was kidnapped and then abducted. You were kidnapped by your mother and then abducted by your grandmother and uncle. Yeah, it's true. You know, my mom... She took me from my dad. Um, she she left the country, which I think was illegal. Um, she, yeah, moved me back to the States. And I didn't see him again until I shot that special for HBO in 2021. Um, and then my grandmother, she did a whole thing. She, 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 you know, she surveilled and she had a plan and she took me and she cut all my hair off when she was flying me back to Florida. It's always Florida, right? And she took me back. And, you know, it's funny because when people find out that I was abducted by family members, they're like, oh, that's nothing. But that's very traumatic when yeah. you're taken from a parent. Like when my grandmother took me from my mother, I was depressed as a kid because I wanted my mom. And I didn't see my mom for almost a year. And it was it was hard. It was like I resented my grandmother. I was scared. I, like I joke about it. I was like, I wouldn't after my mom came back, I would not. I would grab my mom's leg. I would never part from her even. And I loved like McDonald's when I was a little kid and messing around with my grandmother. I was like, nope, you know, yeah. you bring me back the nuggets because I'll end up in Milwaukee with you. Yeah. You know, like I can't trust you. <laughs> so, wow. but yeah, yeah, I got, you know, it was, um, I wasn't able to talk about it until I did They Ready. That was the first time I ever brought it to the stage and I worked it out. It was very painful to talk about and to actually bringing it to life as a joke was very cathartic for me. And I, I was able to move past it and I don't talk about it anymore. Like I just let it go. But that was that was a very uh, it, I was on the run with my mom. Her husband was wanted for murder. It was like it was like a movie. It was yeah. a whole lot. Yeah. Going through all of that, was there a piece of advice that kept you going that you had in the back of your head or what yeah. got you through it? Do you know, my grandmother would, all, my grandmother survived so much. My grandmother came to America in the fifties from Puerto Rico. Um, and she was hosed during the civil rights movement. Like she, she came right into like the the fire of it all. And she always would be like, uh, you know, be fine. It's going to be okay. You know? And I trusted her. Yeah. So I always hear that voice. Even now, like my grandmother's past, she's graduated from this life and I still hear her like, you know, be fine. Like yeah. it's nothing. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I've heard something similar where it's like, even if it's not okay, it's okay. And yeah. that is true. Cause I've had a bunch of things happened in my life where it was my worst fear before it happened. And then it happened and I'm like, this is still fine. I'm mm -hmm. still moving. It's still just like one foot in front of the mm -hmm. other, one moment at a time or five minutes at a time or a day, whatever you can handle. And, um, and we survive. Yeah. Is there a piece of advice that you wish you'd gotten sooner or that you would give to your younger self? Yeah, I wish um, when I was little, I wish somebody would tell me that I was fine just the way I was. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of people understand what I'm talking about. We have this idea that if there's one thing we change about ourselves, that our life is just going to snap into place. For me, at, at many points of my life, it was very different things. I suffered from an eating disorder. So I thought if I could just get down to being like a size zero that I was going to be, I was going to be the next, you know, Tyra Banks or whatever. But when I was little, I looked very different from my siblings. I had a different father and I was the dark one, which is all relative. And 
I just, you know, I hated myself. I really, I was, things were introduced to me at such a young age about what was wrong with me that I, I thought that, you know, I was ugly and I, you know, I just wished that I could just be pretty like Marsha Brady. <laughs> and then, you know, I look at Marsha Brady now and I'm like, I turned out a but I was, you know, a little kid. Um, and, and just, just, you know, just those ideas that if there was one thing I could change and the, the change, it is true. The change is internal though, not external. It's not superficial. It's, it's like, if you could just embrace yourself right where you are and, and just acceptance is such a big key to like having a peaceful life. And I didn't, there was no one around me that had any bit of sense that could offer that to me because everybody was just surviving at the same time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People only have what they have for themselves. Mm -hmm. And my mother did not accept her own body ever. And I remember feeling, I remember consciously feeling like I was too fat for the first time when I was four. I was in kindergarten and I was getting my picture taken for my little block. And I remember looking down at my denim jumper, like magenta plaid shirt. Like I remember this moment Mm -hmm. and I remember just thinking I was too fat and I like still had like a baby tummy. You know, Mm -hmm. I was a baby. baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that really, that really resonates with me. And it's not about the weight because I've been much heavier than this and I've lost a large amount of weight and I still can look in the mirror and like see that old body. And I have to look at pictures yeah. to realize that it's different. And I have to like do the math in my head and be like, there's no way that I look the same. But it's like, it's really not about the weight. No. And it's, you know, coming from a demographic of women that are seldom acknowledged when it comes to self-destructive eating habits and eating disorders because it's it's been labeled a white girl disease, which is so, you know, the sexism and the toxicity is so deep in all levels when it comes to things that have to do with women. Um, you know, I, it's something that I grew up in a culture where they wanted me to be chubby when I was little because that meant that I was being well taken care of. It meant that I was eating mm-hmm. and I was very skinny and I did not like to eat. I remember... You know, they used to have to threaten to hit me with a belt so that I could eat because I would not eat. I hated eating. I don't I don't. It started very young. Yeah. And so, you know, when you think about, you know, the body dysmorphia issues that a lot of women have, the body standards that are constantly being pushed on us by the media, you know, corporations, what's profitable. It's really um, it's such a hard thing to grasp, to think that you're ever just okay because they're always you know, they're always moving the goalposts. Like, I remember when I used to look at Lucy. I love Lucy. And you see those women like Sophia Loren. And they were full-figured, beautiful women that they just, they were, they had bodies. Yeah. And then Twiggy came along. Like, I, I go back and study, like, all of the models. And I was fascinated by old Hollywood. And then you see this movement where the women are just like super, super, super thin. And then it goes back to, you know, then then it's skinny for a while. Not having a big butt was a thing. People did not want to have a butt. They didn't want to have hips. And then, you know, now here we are in this like Kardashian era. We're being it's just so much to constantly being trying trying to figure out where you fit in. And right when you think you're okay, they're like, no, no, this is beautiful. And it's, it's a lot on the psyche. Yeah, it's crazy to have diff- like different parts of our bodies mm-hmm. go in and out yeah. of style. And that yes. doesn't happen with men's bodies. I no. mean, I think that beauty standards for men have changed and are more intense now with Instagram. Yeah. But like boobs and butts go in and out of style. Like I like watch the show Friends mm-hmm. and they don't have butts and no. that would not they wouldn't have been like the hottest actresses of the day yeah. if they were around now. And those are beautiful women. Yeah. And now like boobs are back out, I guess. <laughs> it's just like butts are in. Like, it's just so. It's hard to keep up with. Yeah. And if you don't have your center, it will, you know, it's, Instagram is very hard for me. Like, yeah. A, aside from every other post, it's an obituary post like this. Like, hey, look who died. Everybody's <laughs> content for people. Like, yeah. you see people posting about people they never even knew existed. And they're like, rest in peace. And you're like, you didn't even know who that was. Yeah. It's awful. I've thought about that. And I don't know why I ha- have had 
this thought and maybe you've had it too, but I've thought like, man, I hope if I die, these assholes don't post pictures with me, you know? Yeah. I was thinking about that yesterday (laughs) and I have a list. Yeah. I told my, I'm like for my kids, I'm like, there's a list of people who are allowed to go to my funeral. (laughs) Very short list. Guest list. I don't want I don't want that energy in there. My kids are going to be suffering. I don't yeah. want the, that wrong energy there. I don't want people pulling out. Like when I saw people videotaping Whitney Houston's funeral, I was like, all is lost, my friends. Humanity is done. Like this, this is content for people. Like, yeah, I have a list. And then I was like, and then anybody who posts pictures with me, you block them and you report them. You, this is the list. You know, I was thinking about that. That's how petty I am. I was just like... Them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like a way of taking it and getting their little piece of attention about mm. it. Everything is content and it's it's so uh, it's gross. Yeah. Because some people are like destroyed and grieving about the loss of their person. And here you are doing this gratuitous post because you're trying to get likes like. I've gotten into some arguments with certain comedians who posted very early about the loss of some of our friends, people in their lives. And I was like, if you don't take that post down, I'm gonna come to your house. Like, take it down now. They're they're not, they haven't processed the death of their loved one. And here you are already posting a news article. What's wrong with you? Like, I've had this conversation with comedians who no longer speak to me. (laughs) Yeah, well, and when I think about my dad's funeral, there were people I didn't know, but who loved him right. and he impacted their lives and, you know, told me things that I didn't know, like that he really helped them recover from addiction. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, he touched all these people's lives, but I can't imagine having just all these people showing up to see who else is there. Oh, yeah. You know, and if there's an opportunity in the room. Yeah. The networking, yeah. you know, that's the Yeah, there was recently um, a memorial for a person in the comedy community Mm -hmm. and people were asking me if I was going and I was like, I didn't know that person. And they were like, yeah, I didn't either, but I wanted to go. And I'm just like, it's not a party. No, it's gross. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with all that said, should we take a call? Sure. All right. I'm up for it. I'm excited. I love these. Hi, Laura. I need your advice. How on earth does one go about changing their longtime hairstylist? You know, the one you've been seeing for years and years, and they've always done a great job, but then one time wasn't available when you needed them, so you had to go see somebody else, and that somebody else did a better job. Ugh. Then what do you do? How do you go back, or how do you break up with a hairstylist who has become a friend that you love, that you see outside of the hair salon. Is that even possible? Mm. What do you think? You seem to, <sighs> I'm seeing a reaction. I've been What's there. coming up for you? Well, I've been there. Yeah. Uh, that is, and, and my kids always tell me, hey, you got to stop being so accessible and befriending the people that you work with because mm-hmm. it's going to, it's going to turn around and bite you. And it happened to me with a hairdresser. And then you go to somebody, they do a much better job. And, you know, the the reality of it is, is like, you got to make a decision. I mean, you want to walk around with a busted head. Right. Or you want to have the uncomfortable conversation and get over it. And if that's really your friend, friend, then they're going to understand. And if they're not, they're probably not a friend if it's conditional, right? Yeah. So you got to have that con- uncomfortable conversation. I opted not to walk around with a busted head. Right. <laughs> I had to make the uncomfortable <laughs> yeah. decision. Um, and it happened to me with a makeup artist as well. So it's, it's and she's still my friend. I love her to death. But I found a makeup artist that really didn't have to, you know, didn't have me looking different complexions and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Not to say anything bad about her because she was great too, but... You know, you got to choose you. And a lot of us are like indoctrinated not to. Especially in this business. Yeah, I, what came up for me when I listened to that is I'm like, if my hairstylist were unavailable, I would wait until she was available. Mm Because I have had so many haircuts that have made me cry. I mean, I have Mm -hmm. been messed up (laughs) before. Mm -hmm. And so I finally found someone I can trust. And I'm like, I just would not. I can't imagine having the courage to see 
someone else at this point. But I definitely believe in having the honest conversation mm. and taking care of ourselves, you know. Yeah, but she said she had it was a big a big event for her, so and and the person wasn't available, so you would just do your own hair? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess I wouldn't just do my own hair. Yeah, you're right. I probably would have seen someone else. And I probably would have cried afterwards. Oh, wow. Because I have bangs and it's real serious. <laughs> no one can do them. No one can do them. That's why I don't have them. They'll mess them up. I yeah, have, I have... It's so bad. It's so hard. Yeah. yeah. Bangs are a big deal. Bangs Absolutely. are a big deal. Yeah. It's your whole face. They're yeah. on your face. It's yeah. the first thing that a person sees. I mean, yeah. Kaylee Cuoco had like, she said, bang, the, she did a thing of the bangs that ruined her life. Yeah. Because I guess she was getting extensions and yeah. they ate up the thing and then she had to put a wig on and she was devastated. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, I was devastated for her yeah like, i've had them where they like cut into the hairline mm. like it was gnarly and after it was done i was like hey <laughs> like this is up that person hates you and she just was like no it's not yeah it is. she tried and to have just, like sent me that that's honestly what i thought and that's what i said to people i was like i think she doesn't mm -hmm. want me to come back. She gave you that Ringo star. She did not like <laughs> she you. She was trying to mess it. Yeah, that's a bad person. It was bad. All right. Should we do another one? Hey, so I'm adopted. And recently I was contacted on Facebook by my biological mom. I know she's my biological mom because my real mom who raised me showed me a picture of her and told me her name years ago. Um, a big part of me has always wanted to meet her, but another part of me hasn't because I love my mom and she's been everything to me. I do want to meet my birth mom, but I want my real mom to be okay with it. What do you think I should do? Hmm, that one's, you know, the fact that he said my real mom versus my biological mom is very telling because he's considers the mom who raised him his real mom yeah and i think uh i mean for me the conversation begins with that you know she should be confident in knowing but you know me finding my father when i did that was agonizing living a life not knowing the other person that was responsible for me being here a lot of unanswered questions like quirks and things that my mom couldn't answer and I just, I met myself when I met my father because there were things about him that really answered a lot of questions for me. I think as a mom, as uncomfortable, I don't know what that feels like because both of my children are my biological children, but I think, I believe that I would encourage my, you know, my child and support them because it's important for them and I just have to suck it up. And I might not like it and might hurt, you know, I um I have a relationship with the mother of my ex-husband's child. I they I took them to lunch last week when I was in Kansas City. Very awkward, but you know, that little girl is my children's sister mm -hmm. and that it's important for me for them for them to know that I am also support supporting the village. I just think parents got to grow up and they got to they got to support their kids. You know, there's a lot of pain with children who are adopted and they they need to be seen and whatever they need, they need to be supported in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you, um, you know, to hear what you had to say about meeting your dad. And you said that when you met your father, you met yourself. And it got me thinking about like, I'll still, if, if I'm thinking about something, I'll feel myself make a face sometimes. And I'm like, I know that I'm making my dad's face mm -hmm. like we have the same thinking face and mm -hmm. so much of my sense of humor I got from him and um, I've been in a program for like codependency and one of the hardest lessons for me to learn in that is that I have to let my mom's feelings be her feelings and be her responsibility and that doesn't mean that I get to hurt her feelings. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean that I get to harm her, obviously. But if something that I'm doing to take care of myself, if she doesn't like it, 
then that's okay because she's an adult and I don't like things sometimes and I deal with my own feelings and she can do that too. And so that's kind of what came up for me when I listened to this is that like, if it does hurt his real mom, that's okay. That's, I mean, it's, it's normal. You know, uh, I had, I had a podcast and on my podcast, I had the singer Estelle, the one who sang the song with Kanye, American boys. Yeah, yeah. And she said to me on the podcast, I saw her the other day. I've this, I don't know why this hit me so hard, but she said, Ida, I refuse to carry what's not mine. Mm. And that's just become my mantra. Yeah. And, you know, especially uh, my, I'm a, I'm a daughter. I do Al-Anon. I'm the daughter of an addict. Yes. Yeah. And so Same. I have had to learn that my, even with my mom, who I do share a codependency with or have shared is that's not mine. And I have to let her carry her own weight. She has her own development and her own journey as a human being. And as a mother who adopted a child, that's part of her journey is having to reconcile the fact that that child will, will want to find their biological parent. But that is not that burden for the child. The child has another, a whole other burden that they've been dealing with, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's also just, it's like, what, what will you regret more when the opportunity is gone? Will yeah. you regret, you know, your biological mom is not no one is going to be around forever. That's right. Um, and I just, I would really want to meet, to meet that person. Mm-hmm. My um, mother was very, very against me meeting my dad. She thought it was going to be bad for me. She was right. It was very, it was not bad for me, but it was emotionally draining. And it was a very, very rough journey for me, but it was mine. Uh, and she was completely against it. She was, she was angry. She was upset. She felt betrayed, you know, and I still did it because it was important for me. And she got over it. She's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've done Al-Anon also, mm-hmm. and that's where I learned to stop um, taking care of my mom at my own expense. Absolutely. It, at the total expense of my mental health. It's where I learned that I don't have to talk to her on the phone every day. Mm-hmm. I can have boundaries and it doesn't make me a bad person. It's where I also learned that someone say, like if I tell someone that they hurt my feelings and then they're sad from that, that doesn't mean that I was being mean. Yeah. Like hurting okay. someone's feelings by telling them that they hurt your feelings. That's not that's gaslighting when they gaslight you. Right, right. right. But I, I I heard this woman on, on social media say this thing the other day, and, I, and it, my daughter sent it to me because my daughter is really big on boundaries, and she's trying to teach me them. <laughs> uh, but she, the lady said, you have to get out of the thought that uh, not having boundaries is empathy. Yeah. You know what I mean? That 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 is a very toxic ideal thinking that just because you have no boundaries and anybody can call you at any time and you'll show up for them at any time. That's not healthy. You have to take care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Something else that I thought of and I love I love that. And I've never heard that before that I refuse to carry what's not mine. Mm -hmm. I've been feeling sad lately. I'm going through a breakup and I'm one of the things that makes me so sad is thinking about him being sad, like Mm -hmm. thinking about him crying like it. That is what makes me feel sick Mm. Um, because I loved him so much. And if I were my friend, I would like this person cheated on me and broke up with me and then decided that he wanted me back and I still feel guilty for not getting back together with him. Um, that comes so, from your mom. Really? Yeah. That's that, those things come from your mom, your, your allegiance to people who, because if you're an Al-Anon or it comes from whoever it is, you have that codependency with. I, yeah. I mean, I recently went through a breakup as well. Um, I hope he's crying. <laughs> I hope he's feeling sad and bad. I feel like, he was emotionally traumatizing for me and he gaslit me a lot. And every time I talked about the things that were hurting me, he would try to make me feel bad about like, well, what about, I told him I was thinking about suicide and he, his response was like, me too. And then, which he probably wasn't later on when I said, you know, I was, I was telling you about my suicidal thoughts and your response was me too. And he was like, yeah, you didn't even take care of me in that moment. 
So when I see how ridiculous it sounds, yeah. that's how it ridiculous it sounds for me to hear you say that someone who didn't value you, yeah. who was untrue to you and mistreated you, was upset with you because you decided you didn't want to be his doormat anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We don't feel sorry for those people. We feel sorry for them because they're not fully developed and they are struggling with some emotional development. But that's not yours to carry. I do feel sad for him because I feel sorry for him for cheating on me because I'm just like, oh, you can't even not do that. Like, what a blessing Mm -hmm. that I can show up as a loyal, faithful partner and end a relationship if it no longer serves me yeah and it is sad to me that someone that someone can't do that that he can't do that Mm because I really loved him but yeah you're right it is clear when you say when you say that yeah you you're worthy of being with somebody who has integrity and can thank you for saying that because do you know what my mother said to me (laughs) my mom was like well, I, she was like, you really haven't called him? You're really, and I'm like, mm. no. And she said, you know, I, I once asked a woman why she never married. And she said that she didn't know that her last chance was her last chance. And I'm just like, mom, that wasn't my last chance. Mm. Like you were in Underwood, Iowa. You had six guys there. You know, I Mm -hmm. live in Los Angeles. There are millions of people here. And also I would think that my mom and I know that none of that is about me. That's just what she that's That's the fear that she would have if she were in my position. And it's the fear that she had when she was in my position. Mm -hmm. And it's why she married my dad and she told me that she was like I was afraid I wanted children and I didn't think I could do better and so she was married to Mm -hmm. an abusive alcoholic for 20 years and I mean my dad was in jail when I was in high school like she, she was really hurt by that and so it's interesting to me that she still is like are you sure you don't want to get married because I at least I'm a month into this breakup and mm-hmm. I have peace and I'm mm-hmm. trying to appreciate the peace that I have. And like last night I was brushing my teeth and I was reading a book cause I was really into a book. And I was like, I couldn't have done this with him here. He would have wanted to talk. He would have wanted my yeah. attention. And I really like that I can sit and read in bed without worrying that like the light is going to bother him, you know, like oh, little yeah. things like that. Yeah. You know, it's funny, even if you were in Iowa and not in Los Angeles, you would still have different dating options because you show up as you. You know what I mean? Like it, it just you just attract what you put out and you are evolved. You're you know, you don't think marriage is the solution or the destination like those. A lot of women in that generation, like my mom was is always like, I, I pray to God all the time that you find a good man. I'm like, yeah, one that green lights TV shows. That's yeah. what I want. Yeah. Like <laughs> She thinks like I, I want somebody to come rescue you from your solitude. And she doesn't know how much I bask in it. I'm so right. You know, uh, I, I'm OK. You know? Yeah. Yeah, being alone is not the worst thing that can happen. The worst thing that can happen is being in a relationship that is hurtful and miserable. And I've been in miserable relationships before, and I would not, I I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Should we take another call? Sure. Hi, Laura. I have a dog that I am completely infatuated with. She's about six and um, she had previous owners and I kind of rescued her. I am really worried about the day when she dies and I'm going to be completely, utterly devastated and heartbroken. How do you deal with your pets dying and how do you not worry so much about it and enjoy them for the short period of time that we have them? Thanks. I totally get this. Okay. I <laughs> I had a cat who died and I spent her entire life afraid of her dying, Mrs. Cuddles. And mm. then when she did die, it was so sad. Um But it also was a relief. Like she had been sick for a really Mm -hmm. long time. Um, 
And so there was just like a lot of care I no longer had to do. There was a new freedom that I hadn't had. Um, And so the reality of that, it's like what we were talking about before, even when it's not okay, it's okay. And it's all going to be okay. Mm -hmm. Like when that time comes, you'll walk through it and you'll survive and you'll cry a lot and then you'll cry less and less. It'll taper off. Um, But I, you know, looking back, it's like, I wish that I hadn't wasted my cat's life dreading her death. And so I would just invite you when you notice those thoughts to come up to redirect to the present moment, because that's all that we really have. You know, it's funny, though, I think about my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer in 2000, right? And they told her she was going to live for nine months. I was going to fly to visit her because my mom called me and said, they said nine months. You better get down here. I called my grandmother and I said, I'm coming down. And she's like, for what? And I said, I I just got the news. And she said, I'll let you know when I'm going to die. My grandmother died in 2013. While everybody was crying, constantly dreading my grandmother's upcoming death, Whitney Houston died. A bunch of people way younger than my grandmother passed away. I had friends die. She outlived Heavy D. Yeah. You know? My grandmother outlived Heavy D. And everybody was crying about her death. And she was living her life, eating her McDonald's chicken nuggets because she loved nuggets. And she was just like, I told you I would tell you when it's time. And she made a decision. And it was just a testament to me to, like... Don't waste your time grieving what hasn't happened. You have, you got to grieve it when it happens. So enjoy life while it's there, you know? And so that cat has outlived, that cat outlived Whitney Houston, you know? And (laughs) outlived, how many people died this year? That cat outlived Betty White. Like, give the cat some credit. Like, (laughs) leave the cat alone, lady. Yeah. Um, Pete Holmes's wife said something once Mm -hmm. that I loved. And she was just like, if you're, anticipating that and worrying about it you're just putting yourself through it twice that's right that's like do you want to go through the death of your cat 150 times or once yeah and i that like i think of that when i have like a flight coming up that i'm nervous for you know Mm -hmm. or something coming up that i'm stressed about i'm like well you're doing it right now why are you Mm -hmm. doing right now it right now if you don't want to do it you know yeah, we live on airplanes where we are risk takers. We go on stage in front of strangers yeah. and hope that they'll accept and what we have to say. We live very, you know, we are risk takers amongst the population. I mean, sure, people are police officers and firefighters, but what we do is pretty scary, too. I mean, it's scarier than that to some people. Public speaking is one of the scariest things that a person can do, right? And we do it. So we should live in our badassness instead of... You know, it's 316 days and my cat is still alive. But I know (laughs) that one of these days it's like, man, what a what a prison to be in. Emotional prison. You got to free yourself from that and enjoy that cat. Yeah. Yeah. I've been afraid for my mom to die since I was a little kid. Like I, I remember I would go I would go into her bed and I would just like sob on her. Yeah. Because what if there's a fire and she dies and there never was a fire and she never did die. And she um, she was diagnosed with lung cancer and I found out. And then the next day I found out that she also had breast cancer Mm. and she is somehow no worse for the wear. Like she just beat both of them and she's just still around. (laughs) And so it's like all of that time. They ate ate gluten. They ate gluten. And that gluten (laughs) empowered them. (laughs) They glued them together. Yeah, it stuck all their body parts together. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, um, I used to do the same thing. I used to envision my mom's grave. Mm -hmm. That graduation song, I forgot the name of the song. That song makes me cry because I remember thinking, yeah, I don't know why I had a dream that I was graduating and my mother died. I was little and I was... I used to think, and my mom was so upset when I told her, like, she was like, don't be having fantasies about my death. Like, <laughs> like what if that sounds like a wet dream? Like, I'm like, oh my God, this lady just ruined my whole, I didn't even know what a wet dream was at the time. But it was um, just the concept of her thinking, 
It's like you're fat, you're fat fixating on my death. And she's like, and that doesn't make me feel good because I want to be alive. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of something that um, someone said to me recently because I was thinking about like the people, I don't know, people who had endured misfortune, the people in the earthquakes or something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, and I was like, I, I feel bad because I feel like I should be grateful because I'm not in that situation. And she was like, no one wants to be the person that you compare your life to, to feel better about your life. That's true. Like, she's like, just have your experience. People don't want to be the ones that you pity, you know, like, would you want to be that person where someone Mm -hmm. was like, well, at least I'm not Lara Bites, you know? (laughs) Um, that's a good point, you know? Yeah. I never thought about it like that. Um, what do we think? Should we do one more call? I like the cause. It makes me feel like I'm not alone. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So my question is when you're traveling on the road, um, how do you manage your energy levels before the shows? So I never know if I'm supposed to be like walking around the city or having lunch with people, going to the gym, or if I should just kind of lay low in my hotel room and save my strength for the show. So what would you recommend? That's personal, right? For me, SVU Marathon all the way USA. I sit in my hotel room. I order food. I preserve my energy because I know I'm going to have to have several conversations with people who want to talk to me. And that, that, that drains me. Yeah. So I save my energy up. You know, I have to be in the mood. Like if I'm in a city where I want to go try something or go to a restaurant, maybe. But I really try to hold on to my energy because after the show, I remember I did a meet and greet that was like an hour and a half um, because I talked to every single person because I feel bad saying, okay, that's it. And by the time I got back to my room, I was zapped. Yeah. So I I would fight to hold on to my energy personally. Yeah. I do wherever I am. I usually do a walk um, after breakfast. Mm, Like I I do a walk in the morning to get some sunlight and some fresh air. And then when I have two shows, I take a nap in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. I take a nap at like three or four and I treat myself like a toddler. Like I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's nap time. You need to go to sleep. This is part of your work. This is getting ready for work because I hate taking naps. I wake up and I'm depressed. Yeah. It's yeah. nighttime then and I feel like a piece of shit because yeah. I am yeah, in yeah. bed. Um, but yeah, I have to do it and that makes a huge difference for me. Not like the naps. I mean, everybody has their own routine. Like I know people who go do, you know, they go do the sightseeing and stuff. I feel like that that's another trip. This is work for me. I'll go to Whole Foods and load up on some snacks and get some stuff from my room. Because I try, and I do not have room service. Like, I I don't want anybody, I don't want to be around anybody because I know that, you know, I have to talk to people after those shows. Yeah, that's really nice that you do that. I sometimes just hide. I hid this one, this Kansas City last show. I felt really bad. Um, but I, I was I was tired. But yeah, people, yeah. it was just a person. And then that exchange of energy is really, it's work. It's late emotional labor. I know. I've, I'm the same way where it takes my energy rather than mm-hmm. giving me energy. Um, and I started, like it started uh, because of COVID. You know, I'd be like, no, no one can come in the green room. I'm not going to go out and shake mm-hmm. hands with people. Mm-hmm. And then I just, it was just so juicy. I just can't get enough and <laughs> not talking to people. I will, I will sometimes, especially if I have like a feature who's like selling merch, I'll stand at the table with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know why that makes me feel like more protected. But also, I mean, now that we're talking about it, like I've had a man like force himself on me and kiss mm-hmm. me in line same. while like people were laughing. I've had people like grab my stomach. Like I've had, yeah, you know, they grab you. Of, right, right. And so it makes sense that mm. I... Avoid them now. Yeah. You're, you know, I have to remind people because I'm not on like all the time. Yeah. And it's a really hard journey for someone like me versus someone like who's always like jokey, joke, joke, joke. And people forget, but I'm not a jester. Like I'm not here for your 
personal entertainment where right. I'm just like, eh, like I, I'm a human being. Yes. But I had this woman grab me and she was like, no, don't go anywhere. Don't move. It was so like uh, aggressive. And it really triggered me because she was like really like grabbing my arm. And I was like, I can't, we can't do this. This yeah. is not okay. Yeah. You're assaulting me, man. Yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. We're people. Except to stop. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I'm different off stage than I am on mm -hmm. stage. You know, I use all of my energy for a performance. It That's is right. a performance. And um, and I've had people who have met me after shows say like, are you okay? Yeah. Like, what's wrong? Are <laughs> exactly. you like, are you angry? And I'm like, no, this is how I am 90% mm -hmm. of the time. I'm just not on stage right now. Yeah. And I'm not a clown. I'm not a Muppet. That's right. I mean, it's not like Sting gets off the stage and he's like, Roxanne <laughs> at Starbucks. But it's us. You Nobody walks up to a dentist and opens their mouth and right. say, hey, can you check those, right. the back teeth? It's only comedians that, yeah. you know what I mean? Nobody yeah. walks up to any, hey, Angela Bassett, can you do the scene from the Tina Turner movie? Nobody. It's yeah. always the comedian. <laughs> what make me laugh make take your miserable ass somewhere else i am not your jester yeah. get, get out of here kick yeah. rocks yeah also, also if i can interject on one thing yes, is that please. another difference between a meet and greet for a comic is mm -hmm. a, a, and you know versus a, a, a singer is usually those meet and greets for singers they're paying like five thousand dollars that's right and there's security and there's a line and they're ushered through what people don't understand is a meet and greet after a comedy show usually i mean do you really trust those venues to kind of have your best interest and protect you. I mean, how close is security to you when you're doing a meet and greet? That's right. No, it's true. I've, I've had to start asking them, I need a security person if I'm going to sit out here. Because it's it, it's the truth. And they don't pay for that. It's like, you know, go go try to hug Beyonce. Right. You'll end up in the hospital. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sensitive to and irritated by people who take up time and space in inconsiderate ways. Oh. So like if I'm somewhere and the person, you know, th like throws their stuff all over the couch, their notebooks here, their things that, you know, they're taking up a bunch of different spaces that irritates me or even just, you know, physically, if someone is taking up a lot mm. of space when space is, <laughs> when there's a limited amount. Um, and with time. Oh, man. It's the same thing. So if someone knows that there's a huge line behind them and they're telling you their life story, yeah. it's like, send me a DM. I'll delete it. I won't respond. But like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tell me in a way that isn't, you know, isn't costing other people their time. Yeah, they don't. It's true. Because with the singers, they usher you along. They're like, you took the picture. Did you buy the shirt? Goodbye. Yeah. But for us, it's like, Oh, man, when I was seven, I wanted to be a comedian. Everybody at my job at Costco tells me I should be a comedian. And yeah. you got to take all of that in. And if you even react in any way, then you're a bad guy. Yeah. And it's 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 exhausting. Yeah, they think that you're rude and you're stuck up and they, yeah. Let's end it on that in the interest <laughs> of uh, respecting your time. Fighting Words is streaming on Max and Marcella Arguello. Yeah. Her, her new special, which you directed and produced, is also on Max. That was hilarious. I've never watched a special where the comedian repeatedly had to be like, I need you to stop clapping yeah. because I <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> have jokes to tell. You yeah. can't clap at every punchline. She was so funny. It was so yes. real to watch. Yeah. yeah. I'm also on awesome. tour right now. My Don't At yes, Me Tour. Yes, the so. Don't At Me Tour for Cities and Dates. Go to funnyida.com. Before we go, I'd like to recommend a podcast I've been listening to. Based on his Netflix comedy special, Blocks, Neil Brennan interviews friends and colleagues about the things that make them feel lonely, isolated, and how they are persevering despite these blocks. I just love this guy. Uh, you can find this on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. There are also some great comics on tour right now. Uh, one of my favorites is Christina P. She has a special mom jeans on Netflix. She's on the road through September. For cities and dates, you can go to ChristinaPOnline.com. Thank Being you here. for having me. This was great. <laughs>